Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. What is up, everybody? Looking forward to another episode of the Dennis Who Invest podcast with returning face Kevin Saunders. And we're here today to demystify the concept of goodwill, which I certainly don't know very much about. And I know a lot of people listening here in that boat as well. And additionally, even if you do have a good understanding of how it works, who better to enhance your understanding from? Who better to learn from than Kevin? Uh, himself who is obviously someone who is pretty knowledgeable on this field kevin how are you today good thanks james good to uh, good to see you and speak to you again oh absolutely wonderful as always how have you been since we last spoke what's fresh yeah good actually yeah i mean it's uh, the market was a bit quiet uh, following the turmoil at the end of last year and it seems to be picking up now lots of associate dentists looking to buy the first practice so yeah all good buying but what about squats Squats as well. Yeah, I've got both. Yeah, there's a, definitely a spike in interest for, for squat practices, but also for established practices as well. There we are. And one random question, because I don't want to pull this on too much of a tangent. Is Christmas usually a common time that people buy dental practices? So it takes a long time to buy a dental practice. It could take you know six to nine to 12 months. What you tend to find, though, there's a spike in activity leading up to Christmas, where everybody thinks it's the end of the world and you have to finish everything off. Uh, and solicitors definitely down tools a week before, um, before everyone else breaks up. So I get very busy. Uh, I don't think people look to buy any more than they do at any other time of the year. But I think the autumn, probably more the autumn, the autumn gets busy because people finish their summer holiday and they come back with renewed uh, energy or whatever. Yeah. Enthusiasm. There we are. Okay. No, I was just curious. They just popped into my head when you were mentioning that. So I'm curious... Kevin, obviously there'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast and they'll be at varying degrees of understanding of the concept of goodwill. So if we were just to really break it down and describe goodwill as a concept whenever it comes to dental practices, how would you do that? How would that look? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing to say is obviously I'm always going to do this with a finance angle, given that's my background. Um, but yeah, so, and here's a conversation I have with a lot of associates looking to buy their first practice, um, about the concept of goodwill and, and what a practice's value is actually is. And I mean, I get asked the question all the time, is this practice worth what I'm paying for it? And, and it's really hard because it's not an exact science. So, um, you know, there are some factors to look at, but, but basically, it's about what it's worth to the person buying it, I guess. Um, and the valuers, the, the, the actual um, qualified valuers will have a, a method of valuing practices. But even then, you'll find a valuer in one firm will be different to another valuer in that same firm. And then one firm will differ to another firm. So, so it's a real minefield. But I think if we just say, um, basically, what, what have I seen recently? Um, I mean, it does appear that in the last year, the market softened a little bit for dental practices. Um, I've noticed more people putting offers in on asking prices rather than bidding over the top. Um, 
Most valuations that come back um, from qualified valuers, though, um, they seem to be on, you know, spot on. They're, they're okay. I haven't had too many problems. Uh, the only one I saw recently that was a bit of an issue was um, a practice had an NHS clawback, and the valuer did actually downvalue the practice slightly and put a comment in saying, if they hadn't had the clawback, it would have been worth, you know, it's worth X, but it would have been worth Y. So we got around that one. So that was okay. Um, so that, that's what I've seen recently. A good point of reference, actually, for, for knowing when you're looking at a, a practice is someone like Christian Co, because they are um, chartered surveyors. They have a dental market review, I think, on their webpage, um, and they give multiples of the rework profit. So by the rework profit, they'll often talk about EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. But basically, it's the profit at the bottom in a set of accounts, and you add back the things like depreciation that aren't really tangible. Um, and to give you a couple of examples, um, on an owner-occupier business in London, they're talking about a 4.1 times multiplier of that rework profit. Um, Birmingham's about 3.8, and the North about 3.6, 3.7. So, um, yeah, you multiply that profit up, and that is supposed to give a loose guide to, to you know, how much the practice is worth. But there is more than that to consider. You know, what's the potential to expand the practice? How new is the equipment? You know, goodwill, as you, know, you, you were asking, what, you know, what's the definition of goodwill? I mean, goodwill, basically, it's quite hard to pin down how that relates to a dental practice because there's so many different factors. So, um, so yeah, that's where uh, where we are at the moment with the markets. Um, I think probably something that's quite interesting to talk about is how do the banks view goodwill? Uh, and this is where uh, many dentists actually don't fully understand. Um, but goodwill doesn't have any tangible security value to a bank. It's not like bricks and mortar. So when they're lending to dentists, banks are actually lending on an unsecured basis. And that is almost unheard of in the commercial um, finance world. It's mainly just healthcare professionals that, that get that deal. Um, so firstly, banks attach no tangible security value to it. Um, what, how much do they lend? Uh, as a rough rule of thumb, you can say about 80% of the goodwill value. And that is the value that the panel value of the bank will go out and value the practice at. Um, it can be slightly higher than that for certain cases, and it's really hard to tell you which cases because it could be because the loans, the practice um, sell value is a bit more modest, maybe 360,000, 400,000, and there's a bigger chance of getting more than 80%. Um, or it could just be for a different factor, which it just depends. It's case by case, basically. Um, so if I've understood correctly, Goodwill and EBITDA, they're the same thing. Oh, I see. Sorry. Uh, no, not exactly the same thing. No. So EBITDA is the rework profit. Yeah. And that is one method for calculating goodwill. Um, and the agents, some like Christian Co., the valuers, will use a multiple of the EBITDA to calculate the goodwill. Oh, I see. Right. So, okay. So the, the goodwill is the EBITDA and the multiple together. So, for example, if you had... Um, Profit and you added back depreciation and the uh, director's drawings and interest paid to banks, all the things that a new owner wouldn't basically have. Um, and let's say you've got 100,000 
well then um you, you know you know you do the multiplier and let's say the multiplier was four times then you know the actual uh, goodwill value with about four hundred thousand. but uh, again I've totally understood i've completely understood that now right i, exactly. I never knew what that meant uh, there yeah, it is it's like that i mean again i'm not a valuer and it's more complicated than that so it yeah. depends on the, you know the potential to expand the practice how new it is what's the location shop frontage or upstairs it, you know i've really dumbed it down there but um but that's a good guide to use if you're out looking for a practice you just download that report from christine co or someone like them and uh yeah Dominant down is a good thing. That's completely fine. Anyway, Kevin, sorry, before I barge in there, you were in full flow. <laughs> no, no, I think I've finished that section. So that, that's how the banks um, view goodwill. It hasn't got any tangible security value to them. Uh, the reason being that it's, you know, goodwill could be about the vendor and the vendor might go and all, all the patients may follow, in which case the bank's left holding alone with nothing, you know, no security attached to it. So, so they don't attach any security value to it, but they do lend against it. Um, there we are. So then on to the next part. I think uh, if we're thinking about goodwill for vendors, because it's not just about associates buying, um, I think you need to think if you want top dollar for your practice when you're selling, uh, you need to show healthy fees and profit uh, and you need to not disguise anything. So I get so many occasions where a dentist will approach me to buy a practice. And he said, Oh, but it's okay because the vendors told me there's an additional X amount of cash that isn't shown through the books. And I said, well, that's fine, but the banks will not recognize that. So they'll lend based on the profit in the financial accounts. And if that doesn't add up for the loan or the level of money the vendor wants for the practice, it's just not going to happen. I mean, then they need a cash buyer, which you know they're few and far between. So if you're looking to sell your practice um, for the you know a couple of years running up to it, make sure everything's going through the books. Don't over-exaggerate um, expenses unless it's something like we mentioned, like depreciation, which is is something that could be added back. Um, don't overestimate other expenses because then you're relying on a bank agreeing to add that back to the bottom line when it comes to the serviceability calculation for a loan. Um, so just don't take the risk, basically. Better to say, pay a little bit of tax in the couple of years running up to selling your practice than it is to um, you know to risk someone not being able to get the finance to buy your practice. Um, and then finally, I've got how can we use goodwill values? Um, so for people buying their first practice, they'll often wonder how do dentists get up to two or three practices? Well, basically, you can gear up on the goodwill value of your practice. If you buy it and it's worth uh, half a million and within a few years you've taken that up to 700000 you can basically refinance and borrow up to 80% of the value, which usually provides the deposit for the second practice you're about to buy. And then additionally, you can borrow 80% of the goodwill value of the second practice you're going to buy. So, um, so that's how people do it. Once you've got the first one's the hardest, after you've got that and you've built some value into that practice and raised the goodwill value up, uh, you can jump and get two to three, et cetera. Uh, so you can leverage up pretty fast when you get over that first hurdle. Yes, I mean you need to show that you you've bought the practice and um, you know everything is um, is running well. Uh, that if you you approach the bank after six months, they're probably going to say no. But once you've got a couple of years of financials under your belt, then um, it's far easier to to do so. Amazing. Okay. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, that's how you can use your goodwill value. Uh, another regular conversation I have with people is about repayment of the goodwill loan. Um, 
And I always say to them that, you know, again, go and talk to your accountant that general advice is usually don't rush to pay off your business debt because you can offset the interest for tax purposes. You know, if you're going to repay something, repay your personal debt. Um, but people are always in a rush to pay it off. I think they feel better about that. But generally speaking, you know, you can um, you can grow the goodwill value by increasing fees, etc. And inflation tends to erode down the loan value you paid. So, so basically, you, you don't want to rush to pay that off, and you, you'll probably pay it from selling the practice eventually. A bit like if you have a buy-to-let property, you generally take an interest-only loan, and it just sits there basically until you sell the property. There we are. Good to know. Um, another point as well. Um, it, on on that note, obviously being able to offset um, interest for tax purposes, um, there are some products out there for larger loans, and by that I mean over sort of seven hundred thousand ish, whereby you can um, take quite a big chunk of the goodwill loan on interest only, and just repay a small amount, and obviously that maximises the tax benefit because the interest is is potentially higher, and also it's good for cash flow because you're not sinking money into actually repaying the loan. Uh, or just a small portion of it. So again, it's another another product that's out there for some of the larger practices. Interesting stuff. Okay, cool. So in your experience, uh, Kevin, what would you say is the most common uh, situation in which most people purchase their practice? Like how does that arrangement look whenever it comes to goodwill? So if it's an associate buying their first practice, as I said earlier, it generally tends to be that they'll be able to raise about 80% of yeah. the goodwill value. They'll have to put a deposit in of 20%. Again, there are, you know, nothing set in stone. You might occasionally have an associate who offers up a second charge on their main residence to get a 90% loan. Um, but generally, rough rule of thumb, the bank will lend 80% and you put the 20% deposit in. Right. So that's usually around about the point where people can start thinking about purchasing the dental practice whenever they have 20% of the value of the practice, whatever that is. Yes. I mean, you do get a long time to save up because the dental practice purchases tend to take six to nine to 12 months. Um, but yeah, you need to be aware of that, plus the additional fees, such as security fee, uh, sorry, solicitor's fees, um, evaluation fees, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, that that is is a rough rule of thumb. Very cool. Okay, cool. So brighter times ahead for purchasing dental practices. By the looks of it, fingers crossed, you don't want to speak too soon. Appears to be, yeah. There seem to be people looking again. Um, I think people are still a little bit hesitant about NHS at the moment. But that said, I've had a couple of great NHS practices come up recently, and, and people looking to buy them, uh, thinking, well, it's still guaranteed income as long as you can cover that, and you're not too much at risk of of, uh, of associates or not being able to find associates. Shall we say? Yeah. Then, uh, then yeah, it, it, you know, it guarantees patients through the door, and you can build the private income on top. Cool. What would you say the and very this is very much a sort of lick your finger and put it in the air sort of question really anecdotal information more than anything else I'm curious let's say let's go in the north of England and let's say that you've got a three surgery practice and let's say that it's let's say that it's mixed uh, let's just go with that for the moment what's the typical valuation uh, of a practice that meets that criteria at the moment just to give us a little bit of a point to navigate from. Good question. Uh, and it's very hard to answer that because every practice is different. Yeah. So it depends, as we said earlier, because it's a multiple of the profit of the practice, you could have 
two practices side by side, similar premises, and one's got higher profit level than the other. It, it just depends on the sort of services being offered, etc. But in the north, as we said earlier, it's about three point six times the rework profit. That, that, that's you know, that's how it's calculated. Gotcha. Okay, so maybe maybe a better question is what's the what's the cheapest you've seen a practice like that go for just from experience? Oh, crumbs. That, again, that's another good question. Um, you, there are occasionally practices out there that go for sort of 300, 350,000. Yeah. Um, and that can seem a bit frightening sometimes to an associate because generally those practices aren't very profitable because if you're only turning over 300,000 of fees, but you've got you know the same expense of staff salaries, et cetera, they, they tend to not be making very much money. Um, but to my mind, they're they're great practices to to jump on, providing you have got capacity within the practice to to grow the fees. Um, and by that, I mean, you haven't got a single surgery practice where it's maxed out at the moment. Um, they can be some of the best ones to buy because they may be a little bit uncompliant, but you just get the help of a professional to, um, to make the practice compliant, introduce all the new services that you've got or treatments that you can. Uh, and grow the income from there. So at the end of the day, you're left with a much smaller loan than someone who's had to spend, you know, had to buy a practice for a million pounds. Um, but it does need a bit of work. When they're at that level, it, it's hard to show that a bank loan can be serviced. So it needs some, it needs a careful report written by me and maybe a cash flow forecast. And uh, and we need to show how a purchaser could cover their personal expenditure while they're growing the practice. Yeah, got you. No, I was I was just curious whereabouts the benchmark might be. But if I was to buy a dental practice, I'd probably buy something along along those lines. I always say that they're the dental practice equivalent of a doer upper in the BT in the buy to let world, the B two L world. Yeah, true. And and actually, uh, although I'm quite passionate about helping people start squat practices up, I think it's probably easier and, and probably the route if i was a dentist i would take would be to look for one of those small modest practices that was a bit run down and you know and buy something that's got an existing income you haven't got all the issues with the building work and cost overruns on that um you're ready to go you just need to refurbish a little bit bring in the new services and do all the things that perhaps weren't being done before in the practice but but it is quite hard to find those because most dentists are pretty smart and they do the right thing so it's much more common to find a practice that's valued between 500 and a million. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, got you. And then one more thing I was going to ask, and this is just purely out of curiosity, just when I heard you talking there. Let's say 80% is the typical loan that you can get for purchasing a practice. How does that differ whenever we're borrowing to set up a squat? Is it still around about 80%? No, so a squat's a bit different. Uh tends to be around about 70% of oh. the setup costs. If, if we if we say there's no freehold, it's just at least premises, tends to be 70% of the setup costs. And even then, it can be restricted to, you know, you're probably talking about 250 to 300 to 400, th- those kind of levels of finance, basically. Yeah, yeah. I was on another podcast, I can't remember the exact one, and someone was talking about 100% uh, loans. Is that is that a thing? Is that possible? On, definitely not on squats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on an established practice, it kind of is because if you've got a practice already, as I said earlier, you can gear up for the deposit on that practice and you can borrow 80% on the second practice. So you have achieved 100% loan by doing that. Right. Um, 
banks also have a policy that says in theory they can lend up to 100% on an NHS practice. However, in practice, if you're an associate buying your first practice, they're probably not going to give you 100%. It just Again, it's case by case. It's probably more likely for an existing operator. Who, and if they've got an established practice already, they probably can do what I said at the beginning, which is to uh, to gear up on the first practice. So, so yeah, it is there, but but probably not for the first time buyer. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Kevin, if there's anybody listening to this who is thinking about buying a dental practice in the here and now, do you have any words of wisdom to offer them just before we round up? Yes. Uh, so save as much money as you can because you'll need it for the fees. And you know, when you find that perfect practice, you find that a lot of my clients won't quite have saved what they needed to. They'll have thought about it after the event. But <laughs> save the money up in advance as much as you can. Um, and as I always say, maintain your bank accounts well. Don't have any unpaid items on your bank accounts or be exceeding overdraft facilities because that's like red rag to a ball for banks. Gotcha. Kevin, we're going to round up proceedings just now. If anybody listening today wants to know more about yourself, where are they best to find you? Okay, yeah. I mean, they can um, email me or, or call me. Um, my All my details are on my webpage, which is uh, Saroma, S-A-R-O-M-A, saroma.co.uk. Um, and they can drop me an email or, or call me and we can we can take discussions further. Top stuff. Kevin, thanks so much for your time today. We'll see you back on the Dennis Invest podcast very soon, I'm sure. Thanks, James. Good to talk. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.